Today, I'm going to be reading Acts 17, 16 to 33. And Acts 17, 16 to 33 says, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day, with those who happened to be there, a group of Epicureans and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God, so you are ignorant of the very things you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and ever everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in a temple built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, rather he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when, when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on the subject. At that, Paul left the council. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Cornerstone. I wish I could be there this morning with you, but uh, due to some travel and uh, COVID testing, you didn't get that done. I just can't be back with you quite yet. Uh, but I look forward to being back with you this coming Sunday. All right, let me pray and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word and for this message. I pray that you would bless our time together. Would you speak through this computer and this microphone and uh, to your people, whether they're gathered at Cornerstone or online. We love you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today I want to talk about the city. I want to talk about kind of the lostness of our city. 
Uh, and I want you to think about your community, right? So the community that you live in, uh, the, the community that you consider yourself to be a part of, whether it's Westford, Chelmsford, Tingsboro, some other place. You could also think about like your your, your front line, right? Your, your job, your family unit, your, uh, your neighbors. But I really want us to kind of think also kind of about that bigger, larger community, the place where we live. And there are a lot of wonderful things to appreciate about our communities. Why don't you recall some of those to mind? Uh, you know, Westford has uh, amazing school system. It has beautiful houses. It has winding roadways. I love driving on the roads in like the autumn with the fall coming down, like the leaves coming down and it's beautiful. I love it. Uh, and just all the, all the houses and the scenery and Westford also has some uh, kind of great amenities. If you drive onto the other side of 495, uh, you know, you have Market Basket, Whole Foods, Five Guys, love Five Guys. Uh, you have a lot of great restaurants over there, and they can just be a really wonder- wonderful community of, to be a part of. A lot of people work in Westford, they commute into Westford and they leave, but there's a lot of jobs uh, in the area, and it just is a great place to be. The town's also kind of has some other interesting features, right? It's a self-governed town. <laughs> Uh, maybe you've been to one of the town meetings and know that there are benefits, right? Anyone can speak up and say uh, pretty much anything <laughs> and that can have its drawbacks as well. Uh, but it's uh, it's a place where people have the opportunity to be uh, civically engaged. Um, and I think these are a lot of like pros to living in Westford, to living in this area because a lot of places are like Westford. Uh, there's also some spiritual drawbacks that I want to talk about. And I think the, the, the Tim Keller gets at the kind of the, the idea of idolatry, right? So what is idolatry? He says this, it is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Right? So anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. And uh, uh, he apparently says, like, if you just look around your community and look for like the, the biggest buildings, that's where our idols are. Right. So he lives in New York City. So like, you have some these financial buildings, right? The, the idolatry is in the money, right? Looking to, to make the most wealth at whatever cost. Uh, but if we were to look around Westford, it's a little different, right? I mean, sure, there are some big office buildings. Um, but, you know, there, there are some other interesting places that are big. Market Basket, Whole Foods, pretty big buildings, right? You have the uh, the schools that are, are quite big as well. And then just people's houses are really big. And I think these things do say something about what our community values and even what our community worships, right? Because God made us to worship. God made us to be in relationship with him. And when we're not in relationship with him, we worship other people things. We, we bend our heart towards the things that help us get ahead in life, the things that make us smarter, the things that keep us healthy. Those things that are good things become ultimate things. And maybe you uh, can look at your own heart and your own mind and say, wow, these are the things that absorb my heart and my imagination. Are they becoming idols in my life? I think that's important to recognize, right, as we kind of uh, go introspective. But I also want us just to continue to think about, well, our community. What are the things that it worships and it 
idolizes. Uh, and then I want us to ask this question. This is kind of a hard question. Does it break your heart that our community worships those idols? How does it affect you? As you look at your neighbors and community members uh, and coworkers, does it bother you that they worship idols instead of having a life-giving relationship with the one true God through Christ Jesus? Uh, this should be challenging. Uh, this should be a challenging question to us because if I'm honest, I can say no. This doesn't often bother me because I've become used to it, uh, because it's become normalized, right? To watch my neighbors and those around me worship anything but the one true God. And here's the consequence of that, though. The consequence is eternal death. And so I want to care. And, and, and there's another just part of this. It's like, well, like they're not getting to experience life in its fullest, right? They're not getting to experience relationship with the one who made them. And that should break our hearts too. And see, it tore Paul up inside when he arrived in Athens on his second missionary journey and he walked around the city and he saw the idols. And the Bible says his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. His spirit was provoked. And that Bible says his spirit was greatly upset. Uh, this is kind of the same way he felt when that girl who was possessed was like tailing him <laughs> uh, uh, earlier in the book of Acts. Uh, and he cast the spirit out and had this huge uh, problem with the city. But he was like vexed. He was upset. And I think Paul's probably upset here for several reasons. He's upset because God is not being glorified. God is not re receiving the honor due his name. But God's also, uh, uh, you know, the people are also just lost, right? They're lost in sin. Uh, and that's wrong. That's sad. And so I want us to see if we can begin to feel what Paul feels. See, we're supposed to care about the lostness of our city. Now, let's think about Athens for a moment. Athens is a smart city. It's an intellectual city that's full of education and the greatest minds of its day, the greatest schools of its day. People have actually called Boston the uh, the Athens of uh, of America. Uh, and if I if I'm to, to kind of think about just the Boston region, because us that live around here know that not all of Boston is uh, dedicated to education. Uh, but why don't we focus on Cambridge, right? Because you have Harvard and you have MIT and Cambridge, right? These two amazing schools. I actually went on a, a like a school field trip through the Akengay program to to Harvard, uh, and I think I might have asked a question, but I, I pretty much listened, right? Instead of trying to offer my opinion to the Harvard uh, educated uh, students, but Paul, right? So. I was, I'm intimidated by that, right? But Paul doesn't seem to be super intimidated by even the greatest minds in Athens because he knows he has the ultimate truth. So he wades right in. Uh, he goes to the synagogue and he tells them about Jesus. And then he goes to the marketplace and begins to reason with them. I'm not sure if he tells them about Jesus or if he just tries to understand them better. I assume he tells them about Jesus. This Acts account doesn't give us everything. Um, but it's like he... It's like he goes to Cambridge, right? So imagine Paul, 
the Apostle Paul going to Cambridge. Uh, and he goes down to Harvard Square. You know, I don't know if you've ever driven through Harvard Square or walked through there, but there's that newspaper stand from like news from out of town. Uh, it's pretty cool. It's like he t- takes a box and he sets up a box and he begins to uh, to talk with the people. And then he, he walks around in the crowd and he begins to engage in conversation with fellow students, with, with uh, Harvard professors and MIT professors and uh, just people that are milling about. He begins to talk about what truth is and who God is and really engage uh, the people there uh, uh, in conversation. My mentor, uh, Sam Kim, uh, Intercultural Mission Church, uh, he worked in corporate law for many years in Boston. Uh, and yet, as he was doing that, he became so concerned for the lostness of the city that he would take his lunch breaks and he would walk around the city of Boston and he would tell people about Jesus. Uh, and that's kind of what uh, Paul seems to be doing here, right? Uh, he cares enough about the lostness of his city that he's willing to get out uh, and mill about and engage. Now, I'm actually doing a pastor's group with Sam, and we're talking about uh, what it takes to reach a city with the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? That that every man, woman, and child should have multiple opportunities to hear about the gospel. I think about that for a moment in Westford. What would it take for every man, woman, and child uh, to have multiple opportunities to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, it would take uh, quite a big effort. It's not an effort that just Cornerstone could do, right? We'd have to get any other gospel preaching churches in our community or in the area uh, to work with us, to us work with them. Uh, And honestly, like I can't do it, right? No matter how big a crowd Cornerstone draws, we're never going to, we're not going to draw enough people to, to make a, uh, to, to fulfill that goal. And so that really requires you guys being mobilized, being equipped, being trained to, to share the gospel to go out on your front lines to the places where God has placed you and uh, talk about Jesus with your family members and coworkers and friends. Uh, so this is a call for all of us, for you, for me, uh, for our church, and for really any church in the area to say, like, do we care about the lostness of our community? Do we care about those idols? And do we want people to be in right relationship with God? Uh, now, go back to Paul. Imagine he's standing there. He's engaging. Um, some students come by. Uh, and he's talking with them. I think there's a simple lesson here that we need to be unafraid to engage, unafraid to engage, even with the greatest minds, because of the Holy Spirit, so we're not afraid, uh, and because we prepared, <laughs> right? Because we've studied God's word, uh, and because we've studied uh, the philosophies the world has, that we've we've looked outside the Bible and can understand our context and can bridge the Bible to our context. So Paul engages with two groups of people, the Epicureans and the Stoics. The Epicureans believe that God was so far and so distant that you could not know him, right? They believe that your body did not live past death, so it's best to party hard and have fun because nothing matters in the end. Maybe you know some people who believe this way. You only live once, do whatever makes you happy. That's Epicurean. How about the Stoics, right? They believed in this impersonal life force called the Logos. Sounds familiar from Gospel of John. They believe that kind of this impersonal God force holds everything together. Also sounds a little bit like Star Wars. Star Wars is not the gospel. Sorry, 
<laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm like uh, for some reason the Pelletiers are jumping into my mind. You guys don't believe the the the, the force is uh, uh, like God, but uh, just you're so associated with Star Wars that now I'm thinking about the Pelletiers instead of my sermon. So <laughs> that's funny. Anyways, let's keep going. God is everything according to the Stoics, and everything is God. Pain doesn't matter, and pleasure doesn't matter. Uh, just do what needs to be done. Uh, well, some sayings they might believe in is, you know, we all believe in the same God or just be a good person, right? Like, and these are things you've probably heard uh, people believe. Oh, yeah, we all believe the same God, right? Just different names. Uh, and that's not honest at all to uh, these different faith systems and these different uh, world religions. Uh, uh, so these are some powerful and compelling ph philosophies. Uh, but Paul wasn't afraid to engage uh, because he knew he had uh, the truth. And he actually had a really good education. He studied under uh, the, the rabbi, the teacher Gamaliel, uh, who was a foremost Jewish thinker of his day. Uh, and so Paul was very smart, um, but he also had the Holy Spirit, and you do too. Uh, and so God was like God was preparing Paul throughout his life, educating him, teaching him, convicting him. And God's also been doing that for you, preparing you, educating you, uh, convicting you, uh, doing things to mold and shape you that can help you bridge that gap between the gospel uh, and different kind of topics in our world. Uh, and we can engage by finding common ground. I like that. We can engage by finding common ground, but also countering false beliefs. Right. So there's this there's this positive and there's this negative. Uh, so let's go back to Paul. Let's imagine he, uh, some Harvard professors here, Paul, and invite him to come and give a lecture. Uh, uh, now, of course, this probably wouldn't happen today, but you know, invite him to come give a lecture at Harvard in one of the auditoriums. Uh, and so Paul goes for it. Now, what actually happened is uh, these Epicureans and these Stoics, these philosophers heard him, engaged with him, invited him to come to the Areopagus, to Mars Hill. That's, the, that's this rocky outcropping below the Parthenon in Greece. So just think of the big uh, kind of temple building on a plateau above Greece. That's the Parthenon. There's this 39-foot statue of the goddess, the Greek goddess Athena in it. Not, not now, but there was. Uh, and it looked out across the city of Athens. And so the Areopagus is kind of between the, the city and this plateau and you can see the plateau, has a good view of the plateau, has a good view of the city. Uh, and this was a place where court was held for some specific cases, but also just a place of learning and discussion. Like it was the place to hang out, the place to be uh, if you were anyone in the, the city of Athens. This is where Paul goes and this is where Paul engages. Uh, and I want you to listen as I read, because I think he finds some common ground. He says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I have found also an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So Paul is saying, I'm religious too. You guys are religious. I'm religious. Great. We share a commonality. A lawyer friend of mine remarked that uh, 
some of the lawyers he engages with just want to fight and just win. Uh, but what his strategy is, is he tries to find two or three areas that they can agree upon and then build a case from there, build a solution. Uh, and I like that. That's what we're trying to do, right? We're not trying to argue with people. We're not trying to like get red in the face and and be right. We're trying to to find two or three points of agreement and build a conversation from there. And what the Paul does it in such a beautiful way. He says, to an unknown God, hey, I know this God you're worshiping. Let me tell you about him. I've met him. And I think that would be a great way. Like my curiosity would be peaked. Oh, you've met God. I want to talk about this more. But then he also begins to counter some of their false beliefs, right? Uh, let's read verses 24 and 25 of Acts 17. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Now, I don't know if you can hear in it, but Paul is counting, countering both Epicureanism and Stoicism, right? So they believe that God kind of made it, but then he withdrew, right? So the gods are just like living off in this other space far, far away from humankind. And in this passage, Paul says, well, the Lord is, like God is Lord of heaven and earth. And he gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. That means he's sustaining all mankind. Uh, that's amazing. And later it says in a, he quotes one of their authors that says in him, we live and move and have our being. Uh, that's verse 28. Uh, see, Paul is saying, God has not withdrawn. God is present. Now, I don't know if you know Jesus. I don't know if you know God or where you're at. If you're just listening online or you stumbled across this sermon on our website, but here's the thing. God cares. God cares. Uh, God is not distant. God is present. And he's sustaining you and me. Even if we don't believe in him, he's giving us life and breath. He's showing us grace. But he designed us for so much more uh, if you don't have a relationship with God yet. He designed you to be in relationship with him, to know him, and to experience him. Uh but Paul is also countering the Stoics, right? You and I aren't God. And I think it only takes some just experiences going bad in life to realize, oh, I'm not God. I can't just speak my truth into existence. Uh, uh, you know, he calls these uh, objects of their worship, right? They're not gods. They're, 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 they're idols, Uh and does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served, served by humans. So like God isn't encompassed in this world in the way we might imagine. Uh, uh, and so, uh, yeah, so he's countering them, uh, the false beliefs. You know, I think this would be very challenging to do, right? It's, it's challenging to find common ground, but then also counter false beliefs. And now Bernie's popping into my head. Bernie seems to be someone who has no problem doing this. Uh, and I really respect and admire that about you, uh, Bernie. Um, but, you know, 90% of us uh, have a hard time, um, you know, saying, well, that's not really true. And, you know, it's interesting that Paul doesn't even necessarily say, oh, what you believe is a lie. Uh, he just says, here's, here's the truth. 
here's the truth. Here's what the Bible says about God. Uh, and I think that's really beautiful. He also makes a bridge though. And he doesn't say that this is just what the Bible says. He goes out and he addresses the things that they're believing, right? About their poets. And we're going to get to that a little bit uh, uh, in a little bit later. Uh, uh, later here. And actually, why don't we just head towards that now? Um, so verses 26 and 28, and he made from one man, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. Right? So here he's definitely addressing those Stoics, right? He made mankind. That means he's different than mankind, uh, that they should seek God, right? You seek God because you're not God. Uh, and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. So God is not far. He is present, but he is distinct. He is different. So just beautifully countering both of them. And then he quotes their, their authors in him. We live and move and have our being. And even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Uh, now, uh, I, I think what he says, when we are indeed his offspring. It's like he's saying, uh, you're made in the image of God, right? You're, you're made in the image of God. God made you. You're like God. You're distinct from God. I actually don't think he's saying you're a child of God. Uh, it does kind of sound like that, but I think what he's trying to get at is more God made you. Because so I think being a child of God is something uh, elsewhere in the Bible reserved for people that uh, believe in Christ Jesus and are adopted as children of God. Uh, but I'll let you decide that for yourself, what you think. <laughs> Uh, I think it's really interesting here. Let's just pause and take a moment and look at how the Apostle Paul is presenting the gospel, right? Does the Apostle Paul use the Romans road to salvation? Or maybe you've watched some of those YouTube videos of um, the guy from Living Waters, um, forget his name, not the Living Waters we support, but a different ministry, right? But he's really good at sharing the gospel. He's really good at saying like, hey, you know what the Ten Commandments are? You, you know, you don't, don't steal, don't murder, don't, um, don't commit adultery. And, and Jesus says that even to look at a woman lustfully is to commit adultery. Have you ever looked at a woman lustfully? You've committed adultery. And you know what the wages of sin is, according to the Bible? Well, it's death. Uh, and by this point, as he's engaging with people, they're really convicted. Uh, and, you know, and I definitely would like to try this sometime. I, I don't think I've ever quite followed the Romans road to salvation, uh, in a conversation. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, and, and then often they, they put their faith in Christ, or at least they, they pray, you know, they say, say a prayer. Uh, and I think that's interesting, but like, that's not what we see Paul doing in this passage, right? If, like he's actually using his knowledge from outside the Bible. You know, he's, He's, he's engaging with their classics, with their poets. He is well-read, uh, and he doesn't just read his Bible. And so I think that should be really encouraging for you if you're a Christian that has other interests outside the Bible. That's good. We should have other interests beside the Bible. In fact, uh, one of my uh, seminary professors would say that when you go and you watch like a really good movie or read a, a, a work of of literature that's really um, engaging, it actually gives you a fresh perspective as you come back to the Bible and study the Bible. It helps you see things that you've just never noticed before. Uh, and I believe that. I really do. 
Uh, and so you'll hear me quote other authors when I preach or uh, talk about other things outside of the Bible. And I think we see an example of that here as, as Paul bridges the gap between the world and, and, and the truth, right? And he will use any means necessary that is true uh, and lines up with the truth of the gospel. I do think that this is not Paul's entire message. This is just a snapshot. He didn't preach for two minutes. Like Paul, we know about him, that he preached so long, a teenage guy named Eutychus fell out of a second story window and died because <laughs> Paul was long-winded. I actually uh, preached this sermon once already, uh, and it went 45 minutes. And I decided that I would re-record it uh, because I didn't want to put you guys through a 45-minute recording of my sermon. So if I'm talking kind of fast, it probably has to do with that. I'm trying to do this a lot quicker this time around, uh, right? But Paul, Paul said a lot of things, and then... Um, they just took a little snapshot and put it in the scripture because every word was precious, right? Every word they were going to have to, to copy by hand. Uh, just kind of getting down to the heart of the message. I think it's really interesting that in the summary, it actually doesn't say that Paul mentioned Jesus's name. I suspect he probably did. I would be surprised if he didn't. Uh, but for whatever reason, the author Luke, as he wrote the account of Paul's sermon, uh, doesn't include the name of Jesus. Uh, right? Maybe it's because, well, it's obvious he would include the name of Jesus, but maybe it's because he was actually reasoning with them more about like this general sense of who God is and trying to bring them closer to self, uh, kind of the salvation message before actually sharing Jesus with them. I don't know. That's a mystery. Uh, let you decide. <laughs> uh, but he does head toward the resurrection. And I think that's, uh, that's really important. Uh, and actually, one thing I wanted to mention before I go a little bit further, uh, I did want to share uh, a story, right? Because I was trying to think in my own life, Lord, have you ever given me opportunities uh, to have conversations like this, uh, where it didn't really start with the gospel message, but uh, it it sort of went there through other sources outside the Bible. And, and I didn't realize it until afterwards, but the Lord kind of gave me an example this week uh, at my, uh, my CrossFit gym. Yeah, that's right. I do CrossFit. Uh, the, the Lord, uh, I went to a class, uh, that, uh, um, I don't normally go to and was talking with one of the coaches and just, we were talking about life and I was sharing how this week I was home working on my doctorate of ministry and my doctorate of ministry is on faith and politics. And that always gets a rise out of people. They're like, Whoa, that's, that's, a, that's exciting. That's scary. And I'm like, yeah, it's great. Um, and uh, uh, she shared that she's going to school and, uh, and the things that she's studying. One of her classes that she's taken is on uh, prisons and uh, prison prisoners, right? Prisons and prisoners. And just kind of learning about our whole justice system and prison system and how sad that has made her feel uh, and just uh, makes me feel like it's, uh, it's very broken, right? Our American prison system has a lot, a lot of problems. Uh, and she uh, was sharing about like the Norway uh, prison system. I guess she's from there and how different it is, right? That it's restorative instead of punitive. Uh, and that there's like a rehabilitation process as the goal. They don't just lock people up and throw them away. And 
I was able to just have a conversation with her about this because I'd seen the documentary uh, 13th on Netflix, highly recommended. Uh, and I mentioned the book it was based on, The New Jim Crow, uh, and she's uh, reading that book. Uh, but we were just able to have a conversation about prisons and prison system. And then I got to share a little bit about uh, Dennis Frediani, right? And that we support a prison ministry because we believe uh, that ministry to prisoners matters, right? And uh, we were talking about how like uh, during COVID, he can't go inside the prison. Uh, and so he has to do ministry outside the prison, right? Kind of helping with prisoners exit uh, and how like you can't go, you can't do both because then you might become like a, a drug runner or something else. Uh, I guess one of the guys at my gym, he mentioned that some other clergy member essentially became like a drug runner. Uh, I don't know anything about that, but I thought that was very interesting. Uh, and and uh, so we're talking and I'm sharing a little bit about the church. And then towards the end, I was able to say, you know, at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, uh, he sat down and he opened the great Isaiah scroll and he defined his mission. Part of his mission is to free the captives, to bring freedom to prisoners uh, and to uh, to bring like hope to the oppressed. Uh, and God really cares about those who are in prison. And when we forget this as evangelical Christians, we've lost uh, a huge part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to what it means to know and love Jesus, that Jesus cares for prisoners. And so we, we want to care for them too, uh, right? We not only want to see uh, physical freedom uh, from captivity, but we also want to see spiritual freedom. Uh, I didn't quite get to like the, that part, but, uh, the, the rest of it, I was able to kind of talk with her about and, uh, just, just how that was able to bridge the gap. Right. And then I, afterwards I walked out and I was like, oh yeah, that was kind of like, we were talking about prisons and then I was able to bring it to Jesus and his mission and talk about essentially Luke chapter four verses 18 through 19. That's really cool. Right. Now that's my story. That's my example, but God has gifted and made you in a unique and specific way. Uh, and he has given you hobbies and passions and interests so that you can do the exact same thing on your front line, wherever God has placed you. And so take a moment and imagine the things you care about. Maybe you love video games, right? How might God use your understanding of video games to share the gospel with someone who also loves video games? Hey, this, this video game has uh, an evil villain uh, and there's a hero. Oh, well then, you know what? The, the Christian faith is about a hero conquering an evil villain. That's a, that's a commonality. But the difference is uh, like Jesus didn't do it by hacking and slashing through untold amounts of enemies. Uh, Jesus, Jesus did it by laying down his life for his enemy to rescue him. Like that's the gospel story right? <laughs> Maybe your thing is not video games. Maybe your thing is, uh, you know, reach, reading uh, Greek literature, or um, I don't even know, maybe you like dogs. Like God cares about all of creation, right? God cares about animals and, and, and pets, and he wants to uh, redeem all of creation. There's so many different ways that we can find commonalities, uh, but also offer kind of the truth as well. Like kind of, uh, you know, say this is how it, how it really is. All right. I really want to keep this message shorter than 45 minutes. I'm going to head toward the end here. 
that's because I wrote too much. There's also kind of a, a challenging part to this message though, right? That we also need to be honest about what's at stake. Paul goes to a difficult place towards the end of his message, towards judgment. He says this, he says, being then God's offspring, right? Being made in his image, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, right? Your idols are worthless junk. <laughs> it's not an image formed by the imagination or art of man. The times of ignorance got overlooked, right? God's overlooked. God has overlooked your ignorance in the past, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. That means to confess you're sinful and you're broken and, uh, and repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. I've always found that one of the, I don't know, the, the least well-received parts of the gospel presentation is always this call to repentance, right? And, and yet we still need to say it. We need to say the words repent, right? Like we need to confess our sins uh, because that's like, you need, you only realize if you need Jesus, uh, if as your savior, if you understand that there's something you need to be saved from, uh, he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed by Jesus Christ. Jesus will judge the world. And so we need to prepare for that through repentance and faith in Jesus. But there's also good news. We get to tell them about the resurrection too. Uh, it says, and of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Right. So he's talking about Jesus here. He doesn't say the name Jesus, but he's talking about him uh, in righteousness by a man uh, whom he has appointed. So Jesus's resurrection is proof uh, that all Jesus taught is true. Right. God's like, oh, you need a proof that uh, that you need to uh, repent and, and believe in Christ. Well, I'm going to raise Jesus from the dead. You need a proof that uh, I am not a far away and distant God. Well, I'm going to raise Jesus from the dead. You need a proof that God is not uh, all of you. Well, I rose Jesus from the dead. <laughs> One of my doctorate of ministry uh, mentor, uh, Jason McConnell, said, you know, what is the gospel? We talked about that at our last doctorate of ministry cohort. He said, it's just talking about the resurrection, right? Like if nothing else, talk about how Jesus died and rose again. I think if you remember repentance and resurrection, right? Repent, believe, and trust in the Jesus, Jesus who died and rose again. Like you've gotten to the heart of it. And you know what? It's really interesting that Paul would go to the resurrection because there was a play uh, by an, an Athenian dramatist, uh, Asiculus, uh, who have, this play would have been well known in Paul's day, uh, where the god Apollo inaugurates the court of the Areopagus, right? He inaugurates Mars Hill. And one of the things he says, uh, solemnly, as if it were binding, he says, when a man dies and his blood is spilled on the ground, there is no resurrection, right? So some of the mythology of the Areopagus, the Areopagus is that the resurrection doesn't happen, that once you're dead, you're dead. And Paul is saying, that's not true. Jesus died and Jesus rose again. And that changes everything. My friends, my church family, Jesus died and Jesus rose again. And that changes everything. And if you don't believe in him, today can be the day of your eternal salvation. So my call to you is repent and believe in Jesus. Believe he died and he rose again. It's going to be an act of faith. Believe me, it's going to be an act of faith, but it's going to be God-given faith. Like God's going to help you believe. 
and then begin to walk uh, with Christ. So the question for all of us is, do we care about the lostness of our city? How might God might want to use you in surprising ways, using you, how God has made you, how God has gifted you. We just had this, this spiritual gifts inventory, right? God has made the people of Cornerstone in surprising and unique ways. And God wants to use you, uh, your knowledge, your experience, your passions to bridge that gap, sharing the gospel with those that don't know him. And so will you listen? Will you be attentive to what God is doing? Uh, and will you pray for opportunities for God to, to work through your, your giftings and passions to share about him, to share about the resurrection? All right, I'm going to stop talking so that none of you fall out a two-story window and, and die. <laughs> Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Uh, uh, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died and rose again. Would we all believe this? And if there's any that are listening to this message that don't know Jesus, Lord, would you give them the faith they need to believe when we get to spend eternity together with Christ? It's in his beautiful, wonderful, glorious name we pray. Amen. Right, Cornerstone, sad I couldn't be there. Love you guys. Have a wonderful day.